0: Isn't it interesting how we tend to react when we know that company is coming over to our homes? Typically, we want to tidy things up a bit before they come over. And depending on who is coming, the level of cleaning changes. So close friends might just mean straightening up a little bit. Acquaintances might be a little bit more. If you're like me, the big one is when family, like in-laws over for the first time in a while and maybe for you it's someone different but for certain visitors a lot of us we become cleaning fanatics we start vacuuming the carpets we wash the windows we put all the dishes away we start to notice dirt in places that we didn't even know our house had we dig out that little duster thing we're glad that we actually have one of those and where we're cleaning we're sanitizing and organizing all for people that we hope will love us unconditionally anyways but this is what a lot of us do when people are coming over. We, we clean things up because we want to make a good impression. And the last thing we want is for people to come over and think that we're slobs. The real bummer is when someone comes over unannounced. The doorbell rings and you shout out, just a second, and you're throwing things in other rooms and closing doors. Yeah, we'll pretend I'm the only one who does that. The point is, when you know things look right, that's when you're excited to have people over. We care about what people think when they visit our homes. What about when people visit our church? What do we hope that people will hear? That they'll see? That they'll experience? We care when people visit our homes because it's personal to us. Well, shouldn't the same thing be true when people visit our church? Let's let's take it a big step further This morning, a step beyond visitors coming in the door of our church. What if Jesus walked into the doors of our church? What would we hope that He would see and hear and experience? If we knew that He was coming, would that change things for us? Uh, We'd probably be sure to be here on that Sunday, wouldn't we? We might even get here early, we might even go to Sunday school. I bet we'd sit up a little straighter. We'd sing a little louder. We might even volunteer a little bit more. But what if Jesus came to our church unannounced? What would he think? This morning, as we turn together to John chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 13. John chapter 2, I want us to consider what Jesus would think if he came to our church. John chapter 2. And at this point in the Gospel of John, we are picking up shortly after the first miracle of Jesus' public ministry, which we looked at last week. It's at the wedding feast. The wedding celebration. And here, Jesus prepares to go to another celebration. This one wasn't in a home, but instead it was at the temple in Jerusalem. John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 13. We find this. It says, Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." All right, we're going to pause right here. Now, Passover, Passover was an important celebration for the Israelites. It's when they celebrated and remembered their deliverance from God out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Specifically, when the Lord sent the final plague on the Egyptians. In that plague, the Lord struck down the firstborn, every firstborn in the land, but passed over the houses of those who had slaughtered a lamb, put some of its blood on the doorframe of their house. And after that plague, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they begged the Israelites to get out of there. And every year afterwards, the Israelites were supposed to celebrate Passover. Passover. Remembering God's power, His goodness, His deliverance. It was a time of great and passionate worship. At least it was for a little while. In Jesus' day, many Jews, they would travel from their towns, from their cities during Passover, even if they lived far off, to come and celebrate at the temple in Jerusalem. You see, the tradition continued. But for many of them, the Passion had faded. So as Jesus walks into the temple, He was greeted with the noises of business being conducted. Animals being sold, money being exchanged. You can almost imagine the sight, the sounds, the smells of what was a busy market. Now in of itself, these things weren't bad. After all, some people, they traveled great distances to worship. They would need to purchase animals to sacrifice. They would need to exchange their money for the proper currency. But what may have begun in years past as an opportunity to assist worshipers had slowly become something very different. Now we find that merchants, they use the temple grounds in an important festival as an opportunity to mark up prices and make a hefty profit all in the name of worship and obedience. For many people, the temple become a place of profit and business, not repentance and worship. Now, There may have been some true worship happening there, but there were also some people who were just moving through the motions. They were just doing these things because they were supposed to. And then there were people who were there that were focused on the bottom line. They were focused on the dollars, the money. They weren't focused on living a life pleasing to God. See, the temple was busy, but it wasn't busy with the spiritual life that glorifies God. Here, we're reminded that spiritual activity doesn't always equal spiritual vibrancy, especially when there are impure motives. And in light of all this, we really shouldn't be surprised what Jesus did next. Jesus drove out the cattle. He overturned tables. He yelled for them to stop treating the temple like a shopping center. Instead of walking in and seeing the hearts of people prepared to honor and worship God, Jesus comes in and He sees greed on full display. And here we're reminded that while our Lord is patient, humble, and loving, we're reminded that He is also passionate that the people of God would be engaged in the proper worship of God. But that wasn't the case here. Maybe, maybe that's why when John wrote this section, he referred to this time in verse 1 as the Jewish Passover instead of what it was called in the Old Testament, which was the Lord's Passover. Maybe, maybe Passover was no longer the joyous and passionate praise that it used to be. Maybe it had become this shallow obligation that people completed at the appointed time. You see, a lot of what was happening in the temple was religion. The people were following religious requirements, but they weren't pursuing a relationship with God. And so when the Son of God walked in, he was angry at this mockery of worship that he saw. And in the same way, when the church... Starts to move through the motions of worship. That's when we start to forget that we were meant for a relationship with God. That God is not concerned with the form of worship as much as He is concerned with the heart of our worship. If Jesus came to our church unannounced in the middle of all our activity, what would He see? What would He see? Would he see people moving through the motions? Or would he see people engaged in heartfelt worship? Would he see communion taken out of joyous celebration or out of obligation? Would he see people using their spiritual gifts that he's given them? Would he see people digging eagerly into the Scriptures? Being excited about gathering together every single day? weak or would he come in and see people whose lips say the right things but whose hearts are far from him we saw what Jesus did in the temple I wonder what he would do if he came to our church let's look at verse 18 it says the Jews then responded to him what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken so the Jews, they asked for a sign. They wanted proof that Jesus had the authority to come in and do these things and demand pure worship. Now, Jesus doesn't give them the sign that they demanded. He, he instead refers to the coming miracle, of His resurrection, which would happen after they put Him to death on the cross. That's something that they didn't understand. But I don't want us to miss something here in these verses that we just read. Jesus just came in during one of the busiest times of the year and overturns their tables and their businesses. He causes quite a scene, and then he yells out and accuses all of them of wrongdoing. And the first response of the people wasn't to disagree with what Jesus said. No, they just demanded proof to back it up. Nobody was saying, well... that's not true. This isn't a market. We're doing all these things for God's glory, and here's the proof. This is, this is why these things bring God glory. Nobody said that. What did they say? What did they do? They made excuses. They said, Well, if you can't prove it, then we're not wrong. That's what they said. You see, I think that's because even in their hearts, they knew that there was no arguing whether or not Jesus was right. Now, it was obvious that their hearts were in the wrong place, that the temple was being used for improper purposes. But instead of admitting that they were wrong, or even trying to defend what they were doing, they just said, well, unless you can prove it, or do something powerful, we're not going to listen to you. They They weren't concerned with whether or not they were obeying God, drawing closer to Him. They were concerned about being publicly called out in the temple. That's why we know that their request for a miracle or some great show of power wasn't from some sincere desire to change. No, no, they said that because they wanted to justify their behavior. They wanted to justify the things that they were doing in the temple. I was reading that this week and I started to think, do we ever do that in God's church today? Do we ever make excuses when our hearts aren't in the right place? When our worship is stale? When we're more concerned about the time on the clock rather than the time spent fellowshipping with believers? Because you see, when excuses outweigh obedience in the church, when we're quick to justify the improper attitudes of our heart, that's when we need to take a step back. And we need to reevaluate. That's when we need to make sure that our next response is going to be the right response. You see, the response of the Jews was to make excuses. It should have been to fall on their knees and repent. And when as God's people, we can recognize that we aren't worshiping the right way, that our hearts are in the wrong place, that we're acting out of obligation instead of loving obedience, that's when we need to decide, will we repent and do what's right? are we going to make excuses and try and justify what we're doing? After all, there's something very important that we need to keep in mind. We're going to see it as we look at verse 23. Verse 23, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And Jesus didn't perform a miracle for the chorus of excuse makers, although he did perform signs later during the Passover. And many people were blessed to see those signs. In fact, some people were wowed by His miracles, but we find that Jesus, He wasn't taken in by the crowds. He wasn't concerned with His popularity among them or how many of them might follow Him after He performed a miracle. And John tells us why. Jesus knew their hearts. In The same way Jesus knew that a sign wasn't going to change the hearts of the temple money changers and sellers, He also knew that a lot of these people who saw His miracles, they were there for the show. They weren't there for real heart change. And within that is the important thing we need to keep in mind, believers. It's this Jesus knew their hearts, and he knows ours too. That's important for us to remember because, you see, that means that we can put on our Sunday best, we can sing our loudest, we can amen at the appropriate times, but we still need to evaluate our hearts. Because Jesus sees through all these things. And just as he saw past the busyness of the temple to the improper motives that were there, just as he saw past the superficial faith of those who witnessed his miracles, he sees the very root of our hearts. I think that means we need to ask what does Jesus see when he looks at you and me and we worship him? Jesus is concerned with our hearts. The same way the outward appearance of faithfulness in the temple didn't impress him, the same thing is true in his church today. Jesus is looking for believers who are passionately worshiping him out of a heart of love for their Savior. He doesn't need people who can put on a good show. He wants people who are deeply in love with him, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are eager to serve, worship, and live for him. See, Jesus wants our hearts. Church, when Jesus walked into the temple, the place where the worship of God was supposed to be on full display, He moved in righteous anger. If He were to walk into the doors of our church, what would He do? Would He be pleased with what He saw? Would he perform miracles? Not because we ask and doubt, but because we're moving in obedient faith. If you were to point out areas that we need to improve, would we make excuses or would we be obedient? Believers, please understand something. This is not a rebuke of our church. I praise God for the spiritual life and vibrancy that's here, and I pray that it'll continue. And I believe that it will so long as each of us as individual members of this body regularly evaluates where our hearts are at. That we would regularly evaluate, is our heart, is my heart in the right place when I'm worshiping, serving, and living for the Lord? Am I doing that out of loving obedience? Because you see, here's the truth for us this morning. When we worship the right way, the church is strengthened, and so is our relationship with Jesus. When we worship the right way, the whole church is strengthened, and so is our relationship with Jesus. I know that there are probably a number of you who have already thought to yourself this morning, Andrew, Jesus is in our midst. He is with us every time we gather together. And you're right. So Shouldn't that change how we worship? Shouldn't that impress upon our hearts to evaluate regularly, are we worshiping the right way? Let's be a church that pursues a relationship with God above meaningless religious activity. Let's choose to be obedient to God's commands, even the difficult ones, instead of making excuses. Let's have hearts that chase after Him. Let's choose to be a church that's filled with spiritual life. And let's each of us ask ourselves, is my worship pleasing to the Lord? If you're here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand something. Religious activity will not make you right with God. Singing songs, going to church, tithing, praying. These things are good things, but they're not things that are going to make you right in sight. The Bible says that our sin is separating us from God, and so to a lot of us it makes sense, well, if I do good things, it will outweigh the bad things. But the Bible says that's not the case. The Bible says that our sins still must be punished. The Bible says at the end of this life, if our sin hasn't been taken care of, the just punishment is we will be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But the good news is that that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to a world filled with broken sinners, worshiping many times out of obligation. And he came and willingly died on the cross to take our punishment for sin, to take our place. And after he died, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead three days later. He ascended to heaven where he stands right now, waiting to offer you the forgiveness of all your sins and a right relationship with him. If you have never made that decision, please understand that being made right in God's sight, receiving eternal life and forgiveness, is not about the things that you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, I hope with all my heart that you will do that today because coming to this church service won't make you right with God, but putting your faith in Jesus Christ will. Would you pray with me? If that's you, if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Savior, but you're ready for that to change, please know you can make that decision right now, no matter where you are, whether you're here in the gym, whether you're watching online, whether you're hearing this on the radio, you can go to Jesus Christ and give Him your life. There's no special way to pray. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So go to Him now. Confess that you are a sinner, but that you understand He died on the cross, that He rose from the dead. Give your life to Him, and He'll save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone who's not made that decision, that they will choose to do that today. That You'll open their eyes to the fact that doing good things, it's not going to make them right in your sight. It's not going to outweigh all the bad that they have done. And we've all made mistakes. We praise you for loving us so much that you would send Jesus to die in our place. For those of us who have made that decision, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, help us to take seriously what it is to worship and live for you. Because sometimes we get caught up in these seasons of life where we're just moving through the motions. Where we do these things because we're supposed to. I pray that in those moments, in those seasons, You would open our eyes. That You would help us to get our hearts right with You. We would choose to do these things out of loving obedience. We want to be a people whose worship brings You glory and honor. Father, we praise you that you are in our midst every time that we worship. Help us to take that seriously. Help us to make sure we're worshiping you the right way for the right reasons and out of a deep and sincere love for you. We pray that as we continue worshiping you with this next song, that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be pleased with our worship. Because Father, we do love you. Help us never to forget that you love us so much more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.